You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, October 7th, 2021. I'm Cota Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, Ellie Shannon explains updates in campus news, and I'll be telling you about Fort Collins' new tax exemption for menstrual products. After that, Eliza Droder will update us on CSU's athletics, and then you'll be hearing a conversation between myself and the owners of Horsetooth Stem and Root about how owning the shop brought them into a huge community. Then, Coda tells about changes in the enforcement of Texas's controversial abortion law, and we hear from College Avenue about their latest edition of the magazine. After that, I'll be giving new information on COVID-19 and explaining why Facebook is under fire. To conclude the show, I'll be telling you about the weirdest stories I've found recently. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hey everyone, this is Ellie Shannon reporting for KCSU and your Colorado State University campus news. Thanks so much for listening today. It's our seventh week of classes and we're in the middle of homecoming week. Thursday, we have the Distinguished Alumni Awards and on Friday, October 8th, there will be tons of events. Get Your Green On will be happening all day with local businesses, and if you wear anything CSU-related or tell them you want to participate, you'll get a deal. The Black-slash-African-American Cultural Center will have a family and alumni kickback-slash-social hour, and Friday Night Lights is happening on October 8th as well. At the end of the week, CSU football plays against San Jose State on October 9th for Family and Alumni Weekend. For more information about more events happening, please visit homecoming.colostate.edu. Colorado State University's Salazar Center's Virtual International Symposium hosted U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack on Wednesday, September 29th, according to CSU News staff. Vilsack spoke about many new changes that are going to be made for the country's agriculture producers, climate change, and animal disease prevention, and more. First-year enrollment at CSU has almost bounced back to pre-pandemic levels. Over 5,000 students make up CSU's 2021 first-year class. CSU removed their testing requirement for incoming students, and according to Allison Sill of CSU College News, this has increased applications and create the most diverse pool of candidates yet. CSU Pueblo also continued to grow this year. Make sure to listen to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesday and Thursday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. Thanks for listening. This is Ellie Shannon for KCSU on 90.5 FM. Hello there. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is your local news for today. Fort Collins is planning one-time payments to thank city employees for their work during the pandemic. According to J.C. Marmaduke at the Coloradoan, the payments will range between $100 and $1,500 after taxes based on work carried out between spring 2020 and spring 2021. The dollar amount depends on whether the employee was an hourly worker and whether their duties required them to be on-site or in the community. City staff estimates the bonuses will cost around $2.9 million, which will come from the savings in the city's 2021 budget. Interim City Manager Kelly DiMartino said says staff opt for the one-time bonuses rather than back pay for raises not granted during the pandemic so they could recognize the impact on all employees and provide additional recognition for those who are on the front lines. DiMartino says, quote, The intent behind this is to express gratitude and appreciation to our city employees and recognize what has really been an unprecedented year, both in terms of COVID and also in terms of the fires and the recovery impact that has had on our city workforce. 
Fort Collins City Council approved the payments 6-1 to one at its Tuesday meeting, with Council Member K- Kelly Olson voting no because he felt Council didn't get an adequate communication from staff about the plan and that the item should have been aligned with the city's budgeting process. Council Members Shirley Peel and Susan Gutowski also said they wished there had been more communication, but ultimately voted yes. An estimated 2,050 employees are eligible for the payments. About 1,000 non-hourly employees who had to work on-site or in the community will get payments of $1,500 after taxes. An estimated 530 non-hourly employees who worked remotely will get 1,000 payments. An estimated 100 hourly employees who worked an average of 20 or more hours a week between June 2020 and May 2021 will get $500 payments. An estimated 250 hourly employees Employees who worked an average of 8 to 20 hours a week will get $350 payments, and an estimated 300 employees who worked less than 8 hours a week on average will get $100 payments. It wasn't clear on Tuesday night exactly when the city would make the payments. To be eligible, employees must have joined city staff by June 7, 2021, and be current city employees at the time of the payment. The city of Fort Collins is exempting menstrual products from city sales tax in an effort to enhance gender equity in the city's sale tax code. According to J.C. Marmaduke at the Coloradoan, the exemption, which Fort Collins City Council approved unanimously at its Tuesday meeting, is expected to take effect in mid-December. It'll apply to tampons, panty liners, menstrual cups, sanitary napkins, and other similar tangible personal property designed for hygiene in connection with the human menstrual cycle purchased in city limits, according to the ordinance. Council listed the sales tax exemption among its 31 priorities for 2021 through 23. It'll save an estimated 47,500 Fort Collins residents who menstruate an average of a few dollars a year and cost the city an estimated $110,000 in lost revenue from sales tax. The city's sales tax is 3.85%, and people who menstruate spend an average of $60 a year on menstrual products. Mayor Pro Tem Emily Francis says, quote, This is one of our priorities. It's really exciting to get it done so quickly. We know that women pay higher tax on menstrual, hair care, and young girls' toys, so this is just one way we're trying to advance gender equity in our city. Menstrual products are already exempt from state sales tax because of a state law that took effect in 2018. The cities of Denver and Aurora also exempt menstrual products from city sales tax. The city plans to send letters to grocery stores, convenience stores, big box stores, and online retailers to notify them of the change. The University of Denver is officially expanding into Larimer County. According to Molly Bohannon at the Coloradoan, the private university announced Tuesday its plan to create the James C. Kennedy Mountain Campus, a site to be used for academic purposes with a focus on new student and faculty opportunities. DU Chancellor Jeremy Hafner says in a press release... Quote, we are taking a dramatic leap forward in our commitment to providing a transformational four-dimensional experience for our students, one that emphasizes advancing intellectual growth, exploring character, promoting well-being, and pursuing careers and lives of purpose, end quote. The addition of the new campus will make DU the only U.S. university that integrates an urban and mountain experience for all of its students, according to the release. The campus will sit on 724 acres of land near the Roosevelt National Forest that was formerly Magic Sky Ranch, a property near Red Feather Lakes, owned by the Girl Scouts of Colorado and was used as a summer camp. The property was sold to DU for $11.25 million. 
DU is planning on having students on campus as soon as this fall. It currently has the capacity to host 120 to 150 students at a time. The Girl Scouts added nearly 6,000 square feet of improvements in buildings in 2007. By next fall, every first-year student will have an experience at the Kennedy Mountain Campus, and by 2025, every undergraduate student there will have the chance to visit the campus for a multiple-day stay, according to DU. That's all the local news I have for today. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back. Hello, we are Fast Luck, and the only thing dumber than our name is our music, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU-FM. My name is Eliza Drotar, and this is your RMR Sports Report. In CSU football news, in the last game on September 25th, the Rams lost to Iowa in Iowa 14-24. The rushing leaders, Ajon Vivens, 17 attempts for 45 yards, with an average of 3.7 yards per carry. Quarterback Todd Sentio getting some rushing yards in, 50 rushing yards on 17 attempts and one rushing touchdown. Our top receivers this week, Trey McBride, 16 receptions for 59 yards, EJ Scott with two receptions for 51, and Gary Williams with the one receiving touchdown. On the defensive side, the team had three sacks for 21 yards loss. Scott Panchin with seven total tackles, 1.5 tackles for a four-yard loss, and one sack for a three-yard loss. Daquan Jackson having six total tackles, three tackles for 14 yards loss. And Devon Phillips, a sack for a 10-yard loss. Once again, we hear Todd Sentio through for 155 yards, 16 for 30 on pass attempts, with over a 50% completion rate, was sacked three times, and no interceptions. In women's soccer, the girls won their game against San Jose State 2-1 with goals by Gracie Armstrong and Caitlin Abrams. Their next match will be at home against Colorado College on Friday at 3 p.m. In women's volleyball news, they lost their most recent away game against Fresno State, one set to three. Jackie Van Liefde leading the kills and ten and a half points to her name. Sasha Colombo had three service aces. Annie Sullivan led in total attacks. Sierra Pritchard led in assists. And Alexa Romeliotis leading in digs as always. Their next match will be Thursday night against Nevada in Nevada. In cross-country news, the most recent event, the Bell Dillinger Invitational in Oregon in the women's division, CSU finished second, and in the men's division, they finished sixth. Their next event will be the USSC Open later in October. 
In women's golf, the team placed sixth at the Badger Invitational. And in men's golf, the team placed first at the Rams Master Invitational. Great job to the golf team. In women's tennis news, the Rams began their season at the Bedford Cup against Air Force in Colorado Springs and took home the doubles championship. In women's swim and dive, the Rams won against each individual team, including Air Force, UNC, and more in Grand Junction. If you are interested in student tickets, go to csuram.evenue.net to get your tickets for basketball, volleyball, football, and more for Rams home events. My name is Eliza Drotar, and this is your RMR Sports Report. You just heard from Eliza Droder with CSU Athletics Information. Now we're going to be talking to owners Kaylee Miley Halligan, Corey Halligan, and David Cantor from the local business Horsetooth Stem and Roots. The trio is navigating their first months with a brick-and-mortar location for Horsetooth Stem and Roots. They all met through Dowsbog Coffee, which Cantor ran before joining the Halligans in their plant shop adventure. How would you describe Horsetooth Stem and Root beyond just being a plant store? So beyond that, I mean, we definitely specialize in a huge variety of house plants. Obviously, um, ranging from common to uncommon into rares, even. Um, one of our biggest focuses is definitely um, community-based. Um, even yesterday, we just put on an event. Um, it was a plant swap. Um, so it's just something kind of cool to bring the houseplant community together. I mean, there's lots of like Facebook pages and stuff where there is a huge community. Um, but I think something like this is kind of the first time that a lot of these people were able to like meet in person. They might like communicate through like online and stuff, but it's cool to be able to like bring everyone together to kind of talk plants and stuff like that. Um, being that we are community focused, we like to uh, feature lots of local artists and stuff, um, we have a ton of different ceramicists. Um, we have some weavers that we feature, some macrame artists. Um, our macrame artist is also a stained glass artist. She does a, kind of a ton of stuff, so it's kind of cool to range and bring different elements of the community into one shop. And then what was it like to build the business and come up with the idea to have a plant store in Old Town? Um, well, so Kaylee and I lived out in uh, Hawaii for a couple years. Um, that definitely sparked an interest in houseplants with Kaylee for sure. Um, Dave here, he also has just a bunch of houseplants up at his house. Um, once we moved back from Hawaii, um, we just kind of had an, had a hankering to start a business or do something different. So, um, started it out of our house about a year ago. Um, that went from, um, being outdoor, like yard sales to indoor sales our house looked like a jungle, got a little crazy, and then, um, but it was a lot of fun. And then we um, just had to make the move about five months ago into the actual brick and mortar here. Um, all of us met through coffee, through uh, Dazbog Coffee as well. So that's also a part of the reason that Dave was kind of a natural pick for us because he's already had uh, businesses before this one. So that really helped as well. And then can you describe everyone's role in the business at Horsetooth Stem and Root? Yeah, so um, myself, Corey, um, is my husband, and then Dave, we're all equal, so we kind of share the load pretty much. Um, I would say Corey and Dave are definitely like more numbers focused. I'm more of the creative that tends to just kind of live off in that world. I like kind of the artsier stuff, and I'm into kind of more of the like scientific stuff behind plants and all that. Um, but we all have a huge love for plants. Um, 
So we kind of just share like the roles all together. Right now it's pretty much just the owners in here. So, I mean, we do orders every uh, Monday and Tuesday and we kind of just switch off between that. Um, and then, yeah, I would say, I don't really know that there's any like one main person. We all kind of, yeah, we're definitely co-ownership. So, yeah. What is it like to own this uh, store and what's it like to really get to see two people every single day and work together to build something new? Yeah, they're good friends. Um, we are still learning each other, learning our boundaries. It's a business. We will constantly have disagreements, but when we reach when we reach an agreement and something works, we're all really proud of it. So, but I think I think you need that disagreement side to build a strong relationship. Definitely. And then, how do you feel like sometimes they challenge you to think in new ways when running the business? They think outside the box that, you know, and they're, they're younger than I am. Um, I'm definitely not stuck in my ways. I'm always willing to bend. But they just get, have a new approach to it. Definitely. Um, I've been in business a really long time. So um, new business ideas are are new to me. And, and I'm challenged because it's my way. I'm right. Not them. But that's that's where we're learning to work with each other. How has owning and working with the plant shop here really helped you connect with the community, especially with other local businesses? Um, so when we were out of the house, um, like selling plants out of the house, we actually, one of our neighbors is Megan, who owns Foco Doco, the donut shop in town. Um, she's been an amazing support. She actually got us in touch with a realtor who ended up ultimately helping us get this place. So, you know, that's been a huge impact and we've been really appreciative of everyone that's reached out. I mean, Instagram is kind of like a big tool now as well. It's kind of spooky how quickly like the community can get together and everyone can like talk to each other. And I'll use uh, someone breaking in as an example, actually. (laughs) We've been broken into since we've been open already. And, um, you know, within like 12 hours, we had different businesses reaching out and they had incidents as well happen that same night. And it was just kind of crazy how quickly everyone came together and helped each other out in that aspect as well. I know a lot of like local businesses shop through us and we try to support other small businesses as well because that's kind of like how the whole circle works is just supporting small is like so huge and it really was eye-opening once we did start just like how close-knit the community is and like Corey said the break-in situation alone We had so many people that were like, how can we help and how, and not even just like business owners, it was like the entire community. Um, Customers were like, what happened? Like, how can we help? Can we come in and help you like clean up? Um, So it's just been really like eye-opening to see how how much people can come together through something like plants. Two of you are from Hawaii. Can you tell us a little bit about how moving from Hawaii, the community is different here? Just your initial thoughts on really living and working in Fort Collins. Yeah, so um, I was actually born and raised in uh, Fort Collins, um, and Corey was born and raised in Bend, Oregon. So um, we weren't local to Hawaii, but I feel like Hawaii was like the first place that kind of got us involved with the community since it is such like a small island um it's very tight-knit and people are always there to like help each other out um so when we did move back to Colorado that is something that we wanted to instill um in our lives was like the community focus because 
even though I like grew up in Fort Collins, um, I didn't realize like how important it was to have like a good sense of community and like just helping other people out and stuff like that. So I don't think there's really any difference in the communities from Hawaii to here. It's just like getting involved is what makes the difference for sure. So what would you tell potential customers and other community members who are really looking into checking out Horse Tooth Stem and Root? We're more of a one-on-one shop. We're work, we will work with you to find the right plant, make sure you have a successful uh, plant experience rather than the big shops like Home Depot, Lowe's, where there's nobody to help you. Uh, we'll walk you through how to recognize for pests, how to walk, how to recognize if the plant's not doing well, and give you advice to, to make sure your experience is successful. Horsetooth Stem and Root is located on South College in Old Town, and if you're interested in checking out any of their events or plants available, you can look at their Instagram, which is at horsetooth underscore stem underscore and underscore roots. They also have a Facebook page under horse tooth stem and roots that's all for today remember you're listening to the rocky mountain review we'll be right back here on kcsu fort collins 90.5 again i'm coda babcock Young Sweater God, you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Stay cozy. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Reveal. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News Highlights for Thursday. A federal judge blocked Texas from enforcing its abortion law. According to Ryan Lucas at National Public Radio, the federal judge responded to an emergency request from the U.S. Department of Justice. The law, Texas State Bill 8, prohibits abortion after a heartbeat is detected and allows for any private citizen to sue any person who supports someone in accessing abortion. This includes abortions in cases of incest and rape. District Court Judge Robert Pittman said in his ruling that, quote, women have been unlawfully prevented from exercising control over their lives in ways that are protected by the Constitution, end quote. This ruling temporarily blocks Texas from enforcing SB 8, But Texas appealed the decision, and the case will be sent over to the 5th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, according to NBR. The number of children who became orphans due to COVID-19 could be more than 120,000. According to Mike Stobie at the Associated Press, Black and Hispanic children in in the United States are especially impacted by these deaths. AP says that over 50% of children who experienced the loss of a primary caregiver due to COVID-19 were Black or Hispanic Americans. In addition to children who lost a primary caregiver, 22,000 children lost a secondary caregiver to COVID-19. Secondary caregiver can refer to a grandparent who allows the child and their parent to stay with them but doesn't provide basic care beyond housing or a non-custodial parent. 
while many children had a surviving relative willing to support them, researchers looking into the total number of caregivers lost refer to these children as orphans as well. They estimate that orphanhood went up by 15% in the U.S., but exact numbers won't come until foster care reports are released. Four were injured in a school shooting in Arlington, Texas, on Wednesday. According to Grace Hawk and Ryan W. Miller at USA Today, three of the four injured were hospitalized. 18-year-old Timberview High School student Timothy George Simpkins is the primary suspect and turned himself into custody in the afternoon of the shooting. Simpkins was booked on weapons and assault charges. The shooting occurred after a fight at the school, and Arlington Assistant Police Chief Kevin Colby said that the shooting was, quote, not a random act of violence. This is not somebody attacking our school, end quote. The injured people include three students and one adult who may have been a teacher at the school. An oil spill in the Pacific Ocean that closed California beaches was likely caused by a tear in an oil pipe. According to Madeline Holcomb at CNN, the tear was 13 inches and is predicted to have appeared after an anchor hooked onto the pipe, tearing it. The tear appeared in a 4,000-foot section of the pipe, which appeared to have been pulled about 105 feet to the side of its original location. While the exact cause is still being investigated, the tear caused around 144,000 gallons of crude oil to find its way into the ocean. That's all for National News. I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Now we're going to be hearing from College Avenue about their new edition. Today, we're joined by two members of the College Avenue Magazine staff who are going to tell us about the new edition of their print magazine. Thank you all for joining me. Would you mind introducing yourselves? Yeah, I'm uh, Sasha Baron Hughes. I go by she, her, and hers, and I'm the visual editor of College Avenue Magazine. And my name is Aspen Flores. I go by she, they pronouns, and I'm a writer for College Avenue Magazine. All right, thank you so much. And so for listeners who might not know, what is College Ave and who runs its production? Um, So College Avenue is a student-run magazine. It's run by students, including Kaylee Pickering, who is the editor of the magazine. Um, And we cover style and beauty, arts and culture, and humanities. All right. And then what makes College Avenue really different from other print publications offered by student media at CSU? College Avenue, it it covers sort of stories, but um, it also focuses more on the art side of it. Um, And we really try to incorporate our designers' work uh, and our photographers into our magazine as well and make them um, equally as important to the writing portion. And then can both of you walk me through what working in your roles in the magazine is like? So I recently just joined the magazine. I was a writer last semester and I'm the visual editor. Um, It's definitely been a huge learning experience for me. Um, I've had to figure out how to be a better leader how to be, um, you know, in a professional setting. Um, this is the first sort of artistic sort of or job that I've ever had that kind of caters toward what I would want to do in my future career. So it's been overall a wonderful experience and I've learned so much so far. For me as a writer, I usually start off by talking, you know, with all the other writers and with like the other staff of College Ave. And first we kind of just like pitch our ideas and discuss story ideas and kind of like plan what we're going to have for each issue. And then after that, kind of once I've picked my idea, I'll start interviewing people. And it's just like a really fun process of kind of meeting people and getting to interview them and then just writing about a topic that I really enjoy. But yeah, it's a really fun process of getting to meet new people, interview them, and then get to help tell their story for the magazine. All right. And then speaking of stories, what issues are being covered in this edition? Um, so one of our stories um, concerns the 
launch skateboarding art show that happened recently. It's a company that kind of brings together the community through uh, students skateboarding together and children skateboarding together, which I think is wonderful. We also covered Bartels Farm. Um, They are a farm that didn't used to focus on pumpkin picking, but we kind of covered their journey into becoming a pumpkin pumpkin picking farm so that families can come in the fall um, and do that. Uh, Do you want to cover the story you wrote? Yeah, and then my story is about CSU's homecoming, which is really fitting since um, the magazine came out directly in the middle of homecoming week for CSU. I talk a lot about um, where the traditions for homecoming that we have here at CSU came from and just kind of like in general where homecoming comes from because a lot of times we know about what traditions we have but we don't really stop to consider like where they came from yeah um we also did a photo story about how the military program here and the rotc prepares cadets for their future careers in the military um we also did another piece on traditions of international students um i believe it was about a dance that they did i'm not completely well versed on it but it was just like different cultural dances that students did at the school yeah a lot of what we had is about traditions and Mm -hmm. a lot of like stuff that goes on in the fall here that everyone seems to that everyone enjoys and all right and then which stories or components did each of you enjoy working on the most um i enjoyed working on the design portion of the stories like I really enjoyed taking the what the designers made and what the photographers made and what the writers made and putting it all together um, as sort of like a puzzle to create the final piece so yeah my favorite part of writing for College Avenue is really the interviews getting to meet the people and hear all the unique things that they have to say and then once I have those interviews kind of once I write everything else around it I really like the moment when it feels like everything finally comes together and you finally have like that complete story together All right. And then what has College Ave focused on in the past with other editions? I believe they've focused more on, um, they've also been focusing on arts and culture in previous editions. They've also been focusing on more like politics and justice, but we're trying to sort of focus more on the arts and humanities this year. Um, Just solely focus on that. (laughs) All right. And then um, how can people find the magazine or get involved with College Ave if they're interested? So we have a, a website, collegeavmag.com. Um, you can also find our Instagram, uh, which is just College Avenue, or College Ave Mag, actually. And yeah, if you, if you want to get involved, we will take anyone who is interested. Um, we are always looking for new writers, um, new photographers, new designers. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity for anyone to learn more about something that they might potentially be interested in. So I think if you're at all interested in any sort of writing, photography, or design, um, will definitely be very willing to take you. And then where is the print copy of College Ave going to be at? Um, it'll be all around campus, um, right by doorways. Uh. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> all right. And then is there anything you'd like to add about College Ave before we go on our break? Um, no, I think I'm, I'm all good, but thank you so much for interviewing me today, um, for interviewing us, me and Aspen. Um, and yeah, we're so excited to see new people hopefully join our team, but yeah, we're also very excited for the student population to see, um, the magazine, especially because this year everyone was pretty new to the team. We had uh, a pretty new team as a whole. So this is our first sort of collective print edition together. So it means a lot to us.
All right. Thanks so much for joining me today. Again, that was Aspen Flores and Sasha Baron Hughes here with uh, KCSU joining us from College Avenue, another form of student media offered on campus. I'm Coda Babcock, and we'll be right back with the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and these are COVID-19 updates for Thursday, October 7th. Colorado State University reports that over 88% of students and nearly 87% of employees are vaccinated for COVID-19. The university reports nearly 3,700 cases of COVID-19 since May 2020, which is when reporting began. Cases increased by five yesterday, with four new cases among students and one new case among employees. Larimer County and the Centers for Disease Control report high levels of community transmission for COVID-19. Larimer County recommends that in high transmission risk periods, residents take the following precautions. Get vaccinated as soon as possible if you are not already. Wear masks indoors and in crowded outdoor settings regardless of vaccination status. Be sure your mask has a snug fit and consider wearing a KN95 mask. Disposable masks can be adjusted by tying knots in the ear loops to make sure it's snug. Postpone all gatherings if possible, and if the event must occur, consider requiring all attendees to be vaccinated or limiting the number of households. If the event's indoors, consider moving it outdoors. Get tested for COVID-19 if you have any concerns over exposure or symptoms. Larimer County reports over 36,800 cases of COVID-19, along with nearly 300 deaths. The county's case rate sits at 220 cases per 100,000 residents in the past seven days. 72 COVID-19 patients are in area hospitals. Intensive care units are nearly full at 98% utilization. The state of Colorado reports over 682,000 cases of COVID-19, along with nearly 8,000 deaths across the state. 3.4 million Colorado residents are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, and overall, 7.3 million vaccines have been administered. The United States is experiencing escalating or unchecked community spread in all states, but some U.S. territories are near containment. Nationally, there are over 43.6 million cases of COVID-19, and over 700,000 are dead. In the past two weeks, cases went down by 27%, while deaths went down by 7%. Average new cases are about 107,000 daily, and new deaths average at around 1,800 daily. Information from today's segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department for Public Health and Environment, the Centers for Disease Control, and National Public Radio's Coronavirus Tracker. That's all for COVID-19 updates. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. We'll be right back. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is Tech News for Thursday. Former Facebook employee and whistleblower Francis Haugen testified to Congress that Facebook knows it's causing harm, especially to vulnerable populations, and chooses to continue doing it. 
According to Barbara Ortute and David Klepper at the Associated Press, Haugen said that Facebook is specifically aware that the platform is harming children by allowing certain content to be spread, and it's aware that misinformation spread on the site is hurting the general public as well. Senators said Tuesday that it is necessary to act on the issues at Facebook. Facebook owns Instagram and WhatsApp as well, and its harmful aspects also apply to all three platforms, according to Haugen. Haugen suggested ways to reduce Facebook's graph grasp on people, and looked to Congress for new restrictions for the company. Hagen said, quote, They are aware of the side effects of the choices they have made around amplification. They know that algorithmic-based rankings or engagement-based rankings keeps you on their sites longer. You have longer sessions, you show up more often, and that makes them more money. Additionally, she added that Facebook's strategy in the legal battle so far, quote, demonstrates that they don't have a good answer to all the problems that they're attacking her on. End quote. Additionally, Facebook announced Wednesday that their outage Monday came from an error during the company's routine maintenance. The Associated Press says that the issue came about as engineers handled fiber optic cables, computers, and software that runs Facebook. According to Facebook's vice president of infrastructure, Santosh Janardhan, quote, During one of these routine maintenance jobs, a command was issued with the intention to assess the availability of global backbone capacity, which unintentionally took down all of the connections in our backbone network, effectively disconnecting Facebook data centers globally, end quote. Google now offers users the option to search for flights based on carbon emissions. According to Sharon Pruitt-Young, Google calculates this based on you based on data from airlines as well as from the the European Environmental Agency. This includes carbon costs of flights, type of planes used, how the route compares to others, and how many seats are on the plane. The company says this move comes from the estimation that emissions specifically coming from air travel are predicted to triple, prompting consumers and businesses alike to make changes where they can. As a result, some activists are now completely removing air travel from their lives. Flight Free, for example, is a group made up of people who stopped using air travel, both to reduce carbon emissions and show those in power that climate change is more important than leisure and plane travel. I'm Coda Babcock, and that's all for Tech News. Now for Weird News with Ivy Winfrey. Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and sometimes things need to get a little bit weird, so here's a few of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world. The word Google is the most searched word on Bing, according to Google. According to the BBC, Google is making this claim in its appeal case against a $5 billion fine given to it by the European Union. The EU accused Google of using Android success in the smartphone market to make Google the default search engine, but Google says its service is simply the most popular. Lawyer Alfonso Lemadrid told the EU General Court, quote, We have submitted evidence showing that the most common search query on the search platform Bing is by far Google. People use Google because they choose to, not because they are forced to. Google's market share in general search is consistent with consumer surveys showing that 95% of users prefer Google to rival search engines. End quote. The fine was first served to Google in 2018. Margrethe Vestager, the then EU's competition com- Competition Commissioner said Google had made Android manufacturers pre-install its search app in Chrome web browser and paid some to make it the only pre-installed app, meaning only 1% of people downloaded a different search app. A 480-pound bear named Otis is the winner of the Fat Bear Week, making it his fourth win. 
According to Jordan Mendoza at USA Today, Fat Bear Week, the week-long celebration of bears in southwest Alaska, bulking up as hibernation and winter get closer, had fans voting on which bear they thought was the fattest of them all. This year, over 793,000 votes were cast during the week, breaking last year's records of around 650,000 votes. After a tough week of competition, 480 Otis defeated fellow big boy 151 Walker, also known as the Baron of Badonkadonk, to become an unprecedented four-time Fat Bear Week champion. 480 Otis was the inaugurable Fat Bear Week champion in 2014 before winning back-to-back titles in 2016 and 17, and then once again taking the crown this year. 480 Otis took down some heavyweights on his way to winning the competition, including last year's champion, 747. There's no actual prize for the portly patriarch of the paunch, other than the global recognition that he probably won't even be aware of. 480 Otis is one of an estimated 2,200 bears that occupy the national park, which is a popular place for them to feed before the winter due to the abundance of sockeye salmon. One fish can contain around 4,500 calories, and Cheryl Spencer, a ranger at the park, said it's critical for bears to eat so much as they can lose a third of their body weight in hibernation. A South Korean internet firm has sued Netflix after a huge surge of users overwhelmed their internet traffic due to the popularity of the TV show Squid Game. According to Joyce Lee at Reuters, South Korean internet service provider SK Broadband sued Netflix to pay for costs from increased network traffic and maintenance work, a spokesman said on Friday. The popularity of the hit series Squid Game and other offerings have underscored Netflix's status as the country's second largest data traffic generator after Google's YouTube, but the two are the only ones to not pay network usage fees, which other content providers such as Amazon, Apple, and Facebook are paying, SK said. Last year, Netflix had brought its own lawsuit on whether it had any obligation to pay SK for network usage, arguing Netflix's duty ends with creating content and leaving it accessible. It said SK's expenses were incurred while fulfilling its contractual obligations to internet users, and delivery of the internet world is free of charge as a principle, according to court documents. But the Shoal Central Discord district court ruled against Netflix in June, saying that SK is seen as providing a, quote, service provided at a cost, and it is responsible for Netflix to be, quote, obligated to provide something in return for the service, end quote. SK estimated network usage fee Netflix needed to pay was about 27.2 billion uh, won, or about $22.9 million, in 2020 alone, the court document said. Netflix has appealed against the ruling, court records showed, with fresh proceedings to start late in December. Netflix said it will review SK Broadband's claim and seek dialogue and explore ways in the meantime to work with SK Broadband to ensure customers are not affected. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and that's all the weird news I have for today. You're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And now for the weather. Today, temperatures were warm and mostly sunny with a high of 78 and a low of 50 degrees. And Friday will be just about the same. Saturday will be partly cloudy with a high of 75 and a low of 43. And Sunday will cool down to a high of 68 and a low of 39 with partly cloudy skies. Monday will be mostly sunny with a high of 70 and a low of 37 with a 10% chance of rain. And Tuesday, we'll have have scattered showers with a high of 58 and a low of 34. 
And for Wednesday, you'll have to tune in Tuesday from 4 to 5 in the afternoon for the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 FM KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Kuda Babcock, and information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, Stephanie Keel, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Lindsay Johnson, Eliza Droder, Maddie Erskine, Samuel Bailey, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Melissa Ronaldo, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.